We're going to start a new series today. I'm really excited about it. Uh, we finished uh, the problem with series last week uh, because we'd run out of problems to solve. Not really. You know, once we fix the world, we've moved on. And so uh, I do hope that that helped you. That series did help you connect with God on a different level. That's what it was I was in my heart for it to do, to, to sort of just help us connect fuller and, and more freely with God. Um, this series is, I've got to call it, Then Jesus Said. Because uh, I just find there's places, passages of Scripture where, you know, something's going on, there's a scenario going on, and then Jesus says something, and it just brings such clarity or conviction. Generally, those big statements of Jesus, they're absolutely transformational if you're prepared to embrace them. And so we're going to be looking at a series, really, just of things Jesus said uh, that I think we should take notice of. And of course, when, I, when I'm saying we should listen to that, I do think we can't just assume that people would want to listen to Jesus. I, I, I think sometimes it's like in, in church circles, we just sort of accepted things at face value. We're, we're in. We're in anyway. But I think we should know why we're in. You know, the fact is, Jesus is an exceptional character. Why would you listen to Jesus? I think he's character alone. Aside from the God thing, aside from all that, even our secular society, if, if they don't have a bone to pick, if they're not hateful, our secular society generally who've studied the life of Christ say that he is a human being with exceptional character and at the bare minimum an exceptional philosopher, you know, even if they don't accept some of the things that we accept by faith. And so Jesus, I believe, is really worth listening to and I want to look at some of his character today by introdu- and introduce the series that way, maybe even next week. I'd like to share, uh, I think, some journaling that I did this week that I was the most convicted I think I've been for a long time when I've journaled. And it's like, it still resonates with me. I was sharing it with friends again last night. And so I think that's going to be maybe next week, unless I'm not preaching next week. Then it'll be the next time I preach, whenever that is. So let's jump in. Less is more. Who's ever used that statement? Do we understand what that means? I think we do. I think in our society, we embrace it as a general principle that we see truth in. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Less is more. Who's ever learnt that? Cooking with the chilli. Sometimes, you know, sometimes more is more, but sometimes less is more when it comes to using spices, you know. Sometimes that's with fashion. You know, sometimes, hey, understated is a better way to go. Sometimes less is more. Uh, I think we can see it sometimes, well, I do, in art. You know, my dad was an oil painter and a bit of an artist and, and he loved doing landscape scenes, but like picture reality ones, you know, and there was just thousands of little brush strokes in everything to make that picture what it was. But I t- to tell you the truth, the artists that get my attention are those ones that get a big fat brush, drop it in a pot, go zip, zap, zip, and you've got a guy standing there with a beard looking at you. And it's like that... That is amazing. Less is sometimes more. And I think that Jesus actually lived this principle. He might not have coined that phrase, but he lived this principle. And not only that, he encouraged us to live a less is more kind of life. Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, Jesus said, for those who would seek to save their life will lose it. But those who lose my life lose their life for my sake, 
will find it. And that's a real uh, paradox because we live in a society that tends to be pointing us in the opposite direction. It's all about us. We become so self-centric, so selfish. It's about the accumulation. It's about the experience. This is all about me having the life I want. And uh, without being too sceptical, our society sells us things by leveraging that natural propensity we have to actually be self-centric, to actually think it's about us. And then you have the Son of God making a statement that is so countercultural and saying, no, 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 woo, woo, you try and grasp more of life, the more you try and pull it to yourself, the more you will die, the more you will lose life, but the more you push it away and give it away on my behalf, which I can think we could characterise on behalf of others. Jesus lived for others. So giving it to him is like giving it to others. So when we live for others and we give our life away, then we find life. And the fact of the matter is, I think we all recognise that. That sometimes a little bit less of me in a situation isn't a bad thing. A little bit less of ourselves. Have you ever walked away from a conversation? Maybe you're at a party or an event or whatever, and you walk away from a conversation and go, gee, I just wish I'd said less. <laughs> Only the sanguines amongst us, but you, you know what I mean? I think that's a natural reaction where we realise, yeah, less of me is not always a bad thing. And, and I do think that we can see that just in human history. Accounts of people who determined to live for others actually found what life was really all about. And, and when we live for ourselves and we live for accumulation, it might work for a while, but it often leads to emptiness. It leads to exactly what Jesus said that it would. So I want to talk to us today. The title of my message is Jesus said, giving is living. So and I want to capture that thought. I know Jesus didn't say giving is living. I think it captures the thought. Giving is living. Losing your life for his sake, you will actually find life. And I want to start with a theological conundrum that uh, early Jewish theologians had. In their understanding and our understanding of the very nature of God, we can often describe his nature with three big pillars. He is omniscient, in other words, all-knowing. He is uh, 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 omnipotent, all-powerful, and he's uh, omnipresent. In other words, he is everywhere, all the time, at the same time. Which actually, when you think about it, leads to a theological problem. And that is, if, uh, if God is everywhere all the time, and creation isn't God, where does creation fit? If God is everywhere, and we know creation's not God, Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 1. He said, this is actually a big problem with the human race. We keep looking away from the creator and worshipping the creation. And that's a big problem. So we know creation itself, what God has made, is not God itself, even though he can be found in creation. Okay, so again, Paul talks about that. You can't look at creation and deny a creator. Only a fool can do that. So you look at the intricacy of creation and you've got to go, there's something bigger going on around here. Uh, but we know that creation itself isn't God. So where does, where does creation fit in God? And it was in, it's interesting, but it wasn't until the 16th century and a Jewish mystic r- rabbi came up with the concept. His name was Isaac 
Luria. And he came up with a concept called Zimzum. And this whole concept was that God at creation, when he created all that we understand, he had to self-retract. He literally had to pull himself back because he filled everything and was everything. He had to actually shrink back to create space for life to exist outside of himself. For him to give life to others, he had to create a space. And so he retracted, he self-retracted voluntarily to create space for others to live. Now, we're only talking about a rabbinical concept. We're not talking about scripture now, okay? But the interesting thing is, if we go into the New Testament, we'll see this concept so clearly in Jesus Christ himself. And this is a verse that I've used a few times this year because it's really been in my heart and my own understanding around this has been developing over the last few months. But uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, and uh, this is a famous passage of Scripture, and it's talking about the nature, the very nature of Jesus. But before we get to the nature of Jesus, the first, ver- first phrase we've got to take notice of, the first verse, this is about us. This is not an abstract theological concept of, here, I'm going to give you some information about God. Paul actually starts with, let this same attitude. Some other versions of Scripture say, let this mind or let this thinking be in you that was in Jesus. So this is actually an instruction to us. So do you understand what I mean? It's not an abstract theological concept. This is Paul saying, this is what we need to be like. We need to be just like our master. And he said, this same attitude that was in Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, and I'll come back to the original language word there, as we have touched it a few times this year, taking the form of a bond servant, being found in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, such a shameful death in that uh, point in history. For this reason also, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And in that way, What we see of Jesus is we see Jesus being in the very form of God. Another place in the New Testament says the express image of his person. You look at Jesus, you see God. That's who he is. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Even though, we could put it this way, he was everything. Chose a different path. Decided that there was a higher principle to live by, something in his very nature made him react differently to what we would react if we were everything. Imagine if you were everything. Imagine if you had everything and you were the man. Sorry, Levi, I'm glad we're related. (laughs) Um, Imagine that. See, we'd be tempted to grasp it. If you had everything, everything revolved around you. You were the center of things. We're tempted to grasp that. And yet what we see in Jesus is something that is so countercultural that even though he had it all, he didn't consider that something to hang on to, that there was something more important to him. And he chose a path. Scripture says here, he emptied himself. And that literally is the Greek word kenosis, which means self-emptying. 
And I want to use that term because I want to use the verb for it and attach it to love because that's what this is. This is love and action. You want to know what love looks like? Love looks like not being full of yourself. Ultimately, is love a nice card? It might be. Is love a kiss on the cheek? It might be. Is love this or that? But one thing you can say love is, it's being not full of yourself. And this is what Jesus is displaying. So he empties himself, we'd say, canonic love, in an act of canonic love, self-emptying love. He does exactly what we see the Father do at creation. And he empties himself to create an opportunity for others to live. Even though it meant going to the cross, as he hung there on the cross, bearing the sin of the world, you know, hung naked and in shame in front of the whole world, you see a guy that was totally not selfish, totally emptied of self so that others could live. And this is what Paul says we need to allow to become us. Let this same attitude. And the interesting thing is, because I think, you know, again, the Bible doesn't say a word called zimzum, but you can see in Jesus that concept that this rabbi was talking about. And uh, in a very real sense, that is the nature of God. Jesus didn't come and show us a new version of God. Jesus isn't God 2.0. Jesus came and showed us who God always was. And we see it so clearly in the cross. And then when you look back through the lens of the cross at creation, it's like, I think God was always like this. He's created space for others to live. And when you see this, because it's a principle in creation, you can't unsee it and you will see it everywhere. So I just want to give us some examples where we see this. And once we, that's what I'm hoping to do is that we will be changed in our minds And everywhere we go, we will see love in action or the opportunity for love in action through our lives. Canonic love and be like Jesus. Because isn't that the point of it? We're being transformed into his likeness. Isn't that what Christianity is? And so uh, canonic love, where do we see it? Well, we see it in marriage. Really powerfully. As a matter of fact, the only way that a marriage can not only survive, but I mean can thrive and be happy long term, is when two people are prepared to practice canonic love. And what I mean by that is I will surrender my agenda. I will surrender some of me. I will surrender what I want. I'll surrender my drives. I'll surrender my things. I'll surrender some of that. Now, we stay as individuals. It's not like you give your total self away. You'd be boring if you did but you surrender a certain amount to create space for your partner to thrive. And if your partner will practice canonic love with you, Christ-like love, and actually surrender some of their agenda, some of their needs, some of their, they'll create space for you. And in the space created by those two people, a marriage can thrive. Long-term, can thrive. So we see that principle so clearly in marriage. We see it in parenting. In the previous two services, lots of new parents. Like, lots. When I said this, it was like, yep, we're right there. Because I tell you what, they're no longer on their own agenda the moment you have kids. First question you ask is, what did I ever do with all the time I used to have? 
Because all of a sudden, you're not on your agenda, you're on someone else's. And for a home to be happy and for a child to thrive, and I feel sorry for anyone who hasn't had this experience, but for someone, for for a, a family and a home to actually be a place where kids thrive, it requires the adults in it to practice canonic love, to actually surrender some of themselves to create room for others to live. And we do it, you know, we do it with our time. We do it with our finances, like we're spending money on different things, things we never thought we'd spend money on. We're eating stuff that we don't want to eat. It's like, I do not want fish fingers with tomato sauce again for lunch. However, because of the age of little mister or little miss, it's the only thing they'll eat. So it looks like fish fingers it is. And parents do that simply because they are surrendering to love's agenda. Beautiful, isn't it? You okay? Can you see it? Can you start to see canonic love in action? Hey, we do this or we've got the opportunity to do with it with our finances and our resources. And this is a great one to to tackle. The fact is, if we are not canonic with our everything, we will have nothing. It'll be exactly how Jesus said it. So, for example, if we have to spend 100%, that, that basically equals broke. And unfortunately in our society and with a society driven by our insecurities, our needs, we're we're played on, we're leveraged with our need to be everything and it's all about us, people actually spend more than the resource that's coming in and that's called credit card debt. That's called life sucks real bad. And yet Jesus said, hey, if you can just lose some of you, you will find life. So when we shrink back from needing to fill and use the 100%, well, initially that means saving. You'll never save if you can't be canonic with your finance. If you've got to fill it all, if you've got to use it all, you'll be broke. But when you can step back, you actually create room for things like saving. You can go further and you can actually create an opportunity for others to live. And we see this right back to Levitical law where they're encouraged as farmers in an agrarian culture, encouraged not to harvest the corners of their field. When you harvest it, don't harvest the corners. Don't go back through the field and pick up everything the gleaners dropped. Leave it there. Why? For the poor and for the stranger in your land. In other words, it was a principle of canonic love. Leave something, leave some room for someone else to live. And can I just encourage us, you know, when it comes, please don't play because I've got way too long to go yet. I'm so out of time. I don't know how I did that. I do, really. Um, are, you, are you okay? Because I can just close now. I reckon we've got the point, haven't we? But we want to keep going. So where was I at, Trevor? Where, where was I, man? Uh, um, where was I at? I've got four different answers coming at me and I'm as confused as a termite. And, and Okay. Fields. We're in the fields. So you see that principle of canonic? I leave something of what's mine. Others can thrive. And it was even in Levitical law. Um, think about friendship. Friendship. Have you ever met someone? Now, this is no one here. Okay, I've just got to say that. This is no one here. But have you ever met someone who's always complaining they don't have friends? That's not a very friendly place and I don't have friends and people don't look out for me. Come to the church and go, that's not a friendly church. I can't find a friend. And in all honesty, I I used to console people like that. 
Oh, just hang in there. It'll happen for you. Now I could prophesy it never will. You'll never have a friend. Not with an attitude like that. But there is an attitude you can embrace that will create friendship. There is a place where you can lose some of your life and actually find the life that you long for. See, what is friendship? Friendship is connection, it's affirmation, it's celebration of another person or as a group. That's what friendship is. Practicing canonic love is not about finding a friend, it's about being a friend. This is what Proverbs says, he who would have friends must show himself friendly. In other words, you surrender, we surrender some of our need to be affirmed, some of our need for the limelight, some of our need to be needed, some of our need to be celebrated. We celebrate, or sorry, we surrender a certain amount of that and we create room for someone else to be celebrated, someone else to be affirmed. And if you're the kind of person that creates space for that to happen in people's lives, you'll never lack a friend. (laughs) You'll have the life you dream of. When it comes to friendship, because that's the kind of friend everyone wants. Think about our kids' workers right now, people who serve. Now, kids' workers, some of them are in here, some of them are in looking after young people. And they don't just babysit. They prepare lessons, they prepare their heart, and they hide the Word of God in our children's hearts. And to do that, they've had to surrender some of their agenda. They've had to surrender their time, their talents, the things that they might rather be doing. And they create space for other lives to thrive. And in every service, there's been young people in every service today, you know, that are now young adults, maybe young marrieds, that are probably only following Jesus today because at some point in the past, someone decided to be canonic with their time and their gift and invest in children. And how powerful is that? Um, And so I just want to encourage us, you know, being like Jesus is in part this. Why would you listen to Jesus? Because Jesus has only got one agenda, to give his life for others. He's only got one agenda. Unlike so much of our world that has an agenda, to get you to do something, spend something, be something. Jesus has got one agenda, and that's you would find life. But the only way we can do that is by actually being prepared to lose a bit of ourselves, to be just like Jesus, to be just like our Father in heaven, and actually voluntarily retract in some area of our life so others can thrive. So I've just got one question for us today. Uh, what is an area? What is an area that, that maybe we need to contract in and just surrender to? What's an area that we can give of ourselves so others can live? It, it might be with time. Is there an area that we can just go, you know what, I could surrender that time on behalf of others? It could be talent, our gifting, our ability to do things. How do we use what God has given us to make life better, make life bigger, to celebrate others? How do we do that? It could be as simple as treasure. What do I give so others can live? It could be a personal thing. It could be a personal security thing around our need to be celebrated, our need to be seen, 
our need to be affirmed and an area, and it could be in, in our workplace or in our family, our marriage, with our kids, with our friendships, somewhere where I could take more of a back seat and let the sunlight hit someone else. What about our life experience, just all of life experience, our agenda, our this is what I want to happen for me? Is there an area where we can actually be like Christ and empty ourselves to create space for someone else to thrive? Can I pray for us this morning? You okay? You doing okay? Hey, you, you... I think this is why we need to listen to Jesus. Emptied himself for us. That's the kind of character you can trust. Could we stand together and, and, and we're going to pray. Um, let's lift our hearts up to God. Just open our hearts. Father, in your presence in this place, we thank you for your incredible love towards us that, that you initially emptied yourself to create room for us. You've then again emptied yourself to bring us back into relationship with you through your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your nature, your character that only ever has our life at its, at its core, our ability to live and to, to experience true life. Lord, help us just with with everything that's going on in our world, in our minds, help us to identify, help us to see areas where we could actually shrink back a bit. We could actually lose some of our life and then gain it the way that you want us to experience it. In Jesus' name. Just while we're thinking about that, you know, if you're here and you're on a bit of a journey, but maybe you've never got to the point of really opening your heart to Jesus, surrendering, you know, to, to his love. Uh, I just, just want you to, to know that you could do that right now in the simplest of ways. You don't have to feel on the outer if that's never been your experience. You don't have to feel like, oh, that's just for church people, you know. Jesus came for everyone. You're included in his plan. He loves you. He's got a purpose for you. And he's absolutely emptied himself to win your affection. And so in the closing moments of this service, if if you feel that you're at a point in your life where you want to reach out and connect your life with God, can I encourage you to do it? Just right where you're seated and uh, just open your heart. You can, in in your own words, pray prayers, a prayer something like, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Help me to follow you. Help me to be like you. You know, I, I found over the years God loves to answer simple prayers like that. If you mean it, you can open your heart right where you are. Pastor Sue's going to come and tell us how you can follow up on that. We thank Chris this morning.